I'm Terrence C. Gannon, and this is the Not There Yet podcast, a proud member of the Alberta Podcast Network, powered by ATB. Thank you so much for listening to this very special episode of the show. really concrete, vivid, fully articulated memory of my father was in 1969 when he came home and announced that instead of doing the sensible thing and flying to a conference to present some of his medical research findings, we were going to drive there. He pitched it as a fun family adventure. The catch? It wasn't going to be a few hours to Ottawa or Toronto or even an international junket to New York or Boston. No, all of those destinations were strictly for dilettantes. The five of us Mom and Dad and the three kids were going to shoehorn ourselves into our brand new Dodge Dart, thankfully equipped with the relatively rare luxury for the time of air conditioning, and we were going to drive to Mexico City from Montreal in July. But Dad still wasn't satisfied. He always said if you're going to do something, you might as well do it right. So instead of, you know, just coming home after that subtropical odyssey, we would strike west to the Pacific coast and follow it more or less northwards to Vancouver. We would visit aunts and uncles and cousins in Sacramento and Seattle along the way and establish family ties we would have for the rest of our lives. After the extravagance of a day, or maybe two, in what would eventually become the family hometown of Vancouver, we finally turned eastwards towards Montreal and Spruce Crescent and home. Nearly 9,000 grueling miles over a scant five weeks. They broke the mold on Dad's particular kind of crazy shortly thereafter. However, the trip proceeded almost entirely without a hitch and created a panoply of rich memories which have remained with us as the years rolled by and right up until this day. All those stories will have to wait for another time and place to tell because there are simply too many. From that trip, however, flows one piece of advice from Dad for which I'm only too happy to be the messenger. If you really want to get to know each other, take your kids on a long road trip. In fact, I think Dad may have had a secret plan. Perhaps he subconsciously thought if the five of us could still stand each other after five weeks locked in a small steel box while being slowly poached in the Tropic of Cancer heat, there was a fighting chance we might actually stick together over the long haul. If that was Dad's super secret plan... It seems to have turned out pretty well in the end. One of the stories Dad loved to tell, or more accurately, one he loved to have told to him so he could laugh himself into incapacity, was partially a consequence of that personal Carrera Panamericana. Within a year or two, Dad got the band back together again for another epic road trip as we left Montreal for our new home of Vancouver. This was intended to be a sort of holiday shore, but it really was the weapon of choice for getting from M to V as fast as possible to start our new lives on the West Coast. So in addition to the five original members, we added some backup singers consisting of our miniature Daxon Quits and our cat Tom, a regal Russian blue. Quits, 
That glorious little soul was an excellent car dog. Actually, the car was incidental. Anywhere we were was good enough for her. A week or two on the road to wherever? Sure. Just so long as you're there, she might have said. Tom, on the other hand, could best be described as an anxious traveler. The problem was seemingly solved when we figured out he was quite comfortable when placed in a luxuriously proportioned cardboard box perforated with lots of little air holes and lined with his familiar blanket. These holes had to be numerous enough and big enough for him to breathe easily, but not so big that he could see outside. That was the key. Ignorance was bliss for Tom. The only problem left to solve was where to put the huge cardboard box. With the trusty Dodge Dart full to the brim with the ephemera of a growing family leaving town for good, the only place for Tom's hillbilly chateau de chat was on our laps in the back seat. Mercifully, our canary Alfie had already passed, and our tropical fish days were still in our future, otherwise they would have been back there on our laps as well. All was well as we passed through the featureless, tree-lined highways of western Ontario. Once in a while we would hear Tom scratch away at the inside of the box, but otherwise he seemed content. Then one claw appeared in one of the tiny air holes with which he could tear the hole slightly larger. Then two claws appeared, and then a whole paw, which he was then able to rotate around the rim of the hole, making it slightly larger with each pass. Then, which by this time must have been near the Manitoba border, a yellowy eye appeared in the newly enlarged hole and blinked in the unaccustomed light. What happened next is the stuff of Gannon family legend. The cardboard-colored thermonuclear explosion was something on the order of the worst of the head-spinning-around 360-degrees scenes from The Exorcist. Tom's box hopped back and forth across our three laps in a completely unnatural, demonic way, combined with the most blood-curdling yowls and hisses which could be imagined, short of him actually starting to speak in tongues. By the time we hit Winnipeg, Dad knew that a suddenly homicidal, deranged cat combined with three increasingly agitated and sniffling children was no longer a tenable backseat annoyance. Rather, it was a full-blown crisis worthy of an appropriate retaliatory strike. A lesser man than Dad would have suggested that setting Tom free at the nicest-looking farmhouse or the local home for homicidally deranged cats would be a kinder fate than continuing with things the way they were. Not Dad, though. That cat was coming with us, damn it. He might have thought, I'm a trained, prescribing physician and I'm bloody well going to prescribe. He did just that, writing out a prescription for adult dosing of phenobarbital, a powerful sedative normally used to treat epilepsy. Something may have gone wrong with the imperial dometric conversion or 20 pounds may have been a bit more than Tom actually weighed, but whatever dose Dad eventually came up with worked a treat. We didn't hear a peep out of Tom for the rest of the trip. Is Tom dead, and did you kill him, Dad? A fragile voice from the back seat might have asked. When Tom finally woke up about a week later in his new home in Vancouver, he was never quite the same. He was much more aloof. He gradually decamped for the elderly lady's house across the street, lured by fresh salmon and birthday parties. On Tom's occasional return visits to the ancestral home, he often made a beeline for Dad's lap where he would do that weird claws-extended kneading thing that cats do. Dad's love for his family extended effortlessly to its furry, feathered, and finned members, and Tom knew that. We all did. As Tom stared into Dad's eyes, it was as if he was saying, So how about another hit of that phenobarb, Dad? (laughs) 
There are so many more stories I could tell you about, Dad. Taking delivery of a huge sailboat without the superfluous luxury of a mast, or learning to fly gliders to solo standard in under two weeks, or telling somebody off or dumping their ashtray into his beloved Matolias River all come to mind. Each one of them would tell you a little bit about who he really was. But I'll finish with one that will do that, but also one that is particularly dear to me. My early career path wound its way, ironically, back through Winnipeg. I had purchased a car which, based on what I was earning at the time, was a ridiculous and totally unnecessary extravagance. It was a shiny silver bar of soap pod of a car called a Renault Fuego, complete with an intercooled turbocharged 2-liter engine. It was capable of breaking any city speed limit in second gear, leaving three spare for highway driving. The Renault was in Vancouver, and for reasons I cannot recall, it had to be in Winnipeg in the shortest time possible. Dad cut me off mid-sentence when I started to ask him if he, sure, he said, for what he knew was going to be our version of the 24 Hours of Le Mans. Our mission impossible, should we choose to accept it, was to drive the Fuego nonstop through the night and then put Dad on a plane back to Vancouver as quickly as possible. Off we went, replete with matching Renault racing jackets, All was well as we scampered through the mountains. When we hit the prairies and night began to fall, we took turns entertaining each other, pushing the speedometer needle farther and farther to the right on those endless, arrow-straight and empty prairie roads. I think Dad won that duel at a little over 160 kilometers per hour. He was a ruthless, but thankfully not reckless competitor, and I knew when I had met my match. Incidentally, driving too fast on arrow-straight, empty prairie roads is still something I do from time to time. In my dad's honor, officer. Which, trust me, doesn't actually work. Dad and I finally decided to stop for a 20-minute nap at a gas station somewhere in Saskatchewan at around 3 a.m. There was absolutely nothing around for miles except one little doghouse and a couple of gas pumps. Actually, getting any gas was not an option as there did not appear to be an attendant Or maybe he was in the back having a nap himself waiting for somebody, anybody, to buy some gas. The Renault had one really interesting undocumented feature. Every once in a while, it seemed to prefer empty stretches of highway with no Renault dealerships for about a thousand miles. You would turn the key and there would be nothing, not even a hopeful click. That early spring night in the middle of nowhere, in the middle of Saskatchewan, was absolutely the perfect conditions for this to happen. And it did. Thankfully, there was a pretty sure fix. If you pushed the car fast enough, you could jumpstart it. The motor would catch and all would be well. So Dad and I got out and began to push the Renault down the highway. Slowly at first, but actually quite quickly after a bit, as we tried to get over a small rise just past the gas station, which we knew would give us the gravity-fed acceleration sure to do the trick. It was about this time we realized we had roused the gas station attendant. Based on his timing and from his perspective, What he would have seen was a weird UFO-like car not driving past his gas station, but rather with the two of us running behind it, like we didn't precisely understand the role the car played. Of course, the attendant did what every Saskatchewanian would do under the circumstances. He yelled out to us, Is there anything I can do to help? Dad stopped momentarily, turned back to him, and yelled, No, we're fine, thanks, with a jaunty wave, as we passed out of sight into the inky, unlit Saskatchewan night, Four-way flashers, still flashing. We finally made it to Winnipeg in 28 and a half hours. But this is the part of the story that provides one more piece of the puzzle about Dad. After the two of us had been locked together in that Renault for 28 straight hours with no sleep and then only a couple of hours thereafter 
at destination. The best we could come up with for the spare day before his flight was, should we take a spin out to the Lake of the Woods? It actually took third-party intervention by my boss at the time to put the kibosh to that ridiculous idea. For Dad, though, there was no trip that making it a little bit longer didn't make it just a little bit better. It's reasonable to say that by the time he finished driving, which was well into his 90th year, Dad would likely have taken most of the trips he would like to take. That is with the exception of just one, which I think there still may be time to put right in a way. Dad loved flying and anything that flew just as much as he loved the siren song of the open road. That rubbed off on generations of our family. We've all embraced flying in our lives in one way or another. This went so far as, through the combined efforts of many of us here today, the production of a wonderful RV-6 home-built aircraft. It's quite magnificent, I must say. Dad said to me on many occasions that he wanted to live long enough to have a ride in that airplane when it finally was finished 23 years after it was started. Dad came within a hair's breadth of actually seeing it fly. Sadly, however, he was not able to live out that dream of getting the ride for which he'd hoped all those years. So I'm going to take this opportunity to ask a favor of my nephew Alex, who did the lion's share of the work finally finishing up the RV and recently piloted it into the sky for the first time. When those test hours are flown off, Alex, could you please strap Dad's earthly remains into the passenger seat and take him for that one trip he had always wanted? There's one other thing I would ask. No matter how long you plan on taking for that flight, can I ask you to please make it just five minutes longer? that's just what dad would have wanted. The ancient Greeks believed the earth was the center of the universe filled with stars punctuating an endless blackness. They also observed some of those stars restlessly meandered around instead of being fixed in the sky. They gave them the name Planetes Asteris, which translates roughly to wandering star. It's also the basis of the modern word planet. Of course, while providers of many gifts to our modern society, the ancient Greeks had it fundamentally wrong. Turns out that every planet needs a star to anchor it and guide its motion through the universe. In the case of this planet, our little blue marble of planet Earth, the sun also positions it perfectly to give life to all that we know and love. If, as a very young man, Dad wandered through his personal universe, or in the unlikely event, he thought he was the center of it, all that changed when he was just 23. At that tender age, he had his own Copernican epiphany and found the star around which he would blissfully orbit for the rest of his life. He met my mother. She was just 19, and they were engaged soon after. They were married for 65 years. They wasted no time, and as a consequence, along came my sister Tina just 11 months after their wedding. Then three years after that, my brother Patrick, and then finally me, the lone native-born Canadian seven years later. Three little moons added to our compact family solar system. It is impossible to overstate how much you meant to Dad, but suffice to say, Mum, you were the source of everything that meant anything to him. It is therefore impossible to overstate how much you must miss him, so I won't try. 
I hope it's enough to know that we all know that, at least, and all our hearts are broken, too. Dad's loyalty to you was unwavering until his very last breath. His love for you is immortal. It's here in this room with all of us and in all of us. Your attentive, inexhaustible care for him over the years likely resulted in 30 years of life he would not otherwise have had. Really important years where we got to know him as adults and where he got to see his grandchildren grow up and flourish and see the birth of his first great-grandson. Years when the two of you could take those amazing trips together while also looking after each other. For all of that, Mom, we have a debt to you we cannot hope to repay. So I'll just say thank you from the bottom of my heart. On the happier occasion of Mom and Dad's 50th wedding anniversary, I was provided the opportunity of saying a few words honoring their half-century together. At that time, I had just finished reading North Star Over My Shoulder by Bob Buck. The author speaks eloquently about how the North Star, wherever he traveled, was just over his shoulder and was the source of orientation and guidance through his life. I liked that metaphor so much, I told Mom and Dad at the time that they were like my North Star. No matter where I was... I could peek over my shoulder and the two of them and all the gifts they had given me would be there providing orientation and guidance in my wanderings through my own personal universe. I'm going to update that a little. I choose to think that Dad is one of those stars up there and when I finally figure out which one, I will be able to peek over my shoulder and he'll always be there providing orientation and guidance. Or maybe he's a new Planetes Asteras until such time that we all meet and are once again happily in each other's steady orbit. In his later life, Dad was not formally religious. However, I always believed he thought we all must go somewhere after we were finished our travels here. It's a philosophy I share. Furthermore, it means that as we honor him today, it's not simply the end of his long, crazy ride through our lives. It's also the beginning of Dad's next great road trip. I think if you were here now, his own heartbreak at having to temporarily part ways with all of us would be ever so slightly tempered with just one thing. I think he might look around the room, give us all a big wink, and then pull us really, really close. He would then whisper in our ear, where are we off to next? I'm Terrence Gannon, and I'm not there yet. Once again, thank you so much for listening to this special episode and taking time to get to know my dad a little. He was a unique and wonderful man, and I miss him every day. The Not There Yet podcast is a proud member of the Alberta Podcast Network powered by ATB. In each episode, I like to introduce fellow members of the network. Uh, it's going to seem a little odd, but that fellow member this time is the Work Not Work show which is my other podcast here on the Alberta Podcast Network. That's appropriate because the original inspiration for the Work Not Work show was a conversation with Dad's cardiologist something like 35 years ago. In that conversation, Dr. Dom provided the single best answer ever about why anyone does what they do for a living. When I asked him when he knew he wanted to be a cardiologist, he answered, I don't remember not wanting to be one. I never forgot that. In fact, I use it as the gold standard for picking a career. The Work Not Work show is about the endless quest for work that goes way beyond merely making a living and becomes a true calling, something you cannot wait to do, which makes it not work at all. Check out the Work Not Work show, which you can find at albertapodcastnetwork.com. 
Not There Yet is a regular series of short essays podcasted from the second decade of the 21st century. They are all written and read by me, and the entire production is wholly owned by Interlog Inc. of Calgary, Canada. All rights are reserved. If you like what you've heard, please rate or review the show on Apple Podcasts. It really helps build the audience. As mentioned a moment ago, the Not There Yet podcast is proud to be a member of the Alberta Podcast Network powered by ATB. What makes ATB's involvement so interesting and exciting is that it's actually just one of the wide range of initiatives which makes ATB, as I like to say, like a bank but way better. Just one of the other programs ATB is working on, get this, the ATB Arts and Culture Branch. Can you imagine? I count amongst my friends, members of the creative community, and based on my conversations with them, they have some real challenges with the business aspects of their work, including banking. ATB has listened and understood this need and has set up the ATB Arts and Culture Branches in Edmonton and Calgary for just these types of people. I'm encouraging my friends in the arts community to check them out, and if you're a creative, I would encourage you to do the same. I know, not something you expect from a bank, but that's what makes ATB different and better. Check them out at atb.com slash listens. Thank you for listening, and I'll be back soon with another episode. Until then, remember it's the journey, not the destination. It really doesn't matter if you're not there yet.